Welcome to episode 84 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Bryn Jackson. This episode, we talked to Aaron Moody. He was the last guest we had on while we were in New York. We actually recorded this episode in a hotel room in New York and really excited to share it. Aaron was a fantastic guest and we hung out with him all week while we were there. It was fantastic. We hope you enjoy listening. If you do and you want other podcasts to listen to, check out the other shows on the Spec Network from Immutable to Vicarious, Developer T and Does Not Compute. We've got a lot of shows for designers and developers to help you level up, learn more, get practical tips. Those are at spec.fm and we hope you enjoy checking those out. Before we get into this episode with Aaron, we do have two sponsors we want to thank for making the show possible. Our first sponsor this week, as always, is Dropbox. Dropbox is the simplest way to work the way you want. Uh, it, whether you're sketching, coding, prototyping, Dropbox is with you throughout the entire design process and it works with any kind of file. So you can choose whatever tools you want to use, uh, whatever you're building, you can use the right tools for that job and then just let Dropbox sync up everything in the background. When you're ready for feedback, you can send large files to anyone fast. You just send people a link. It'll have a file preview instead of having to like upload it and then have them download it remotely. Maybe you don't want to share a whole folder. So you can just send people a link. They can see the the uh, file preview and then you're good to go. Uh, and they can also comment right on the file itself. Their commenting feature gives people a central place to post their thoughts. And that way conversations can happen right alongside the work itself. Dropbox gives you the freedom to work on anything from anywhere with anyone you choose. And you can get started at dropbox.com. Thanks once again to Dropbox. Our second sponsor back again, making this show possible is Icon Finder. They are the largest source of icons on the web getting close to 700,000 icons in their library, which is insane. 700,000 icons for any project you're working on. They come in all styles, file types, formats, shapes, colors, anything you need an icon for, find it on iconfinder.com. They have over 13,000 icon sets. So if you're working on a product, you can have a comprehensive unified icon set for whatever it is you're making. If you are an icon designer and you wanna make some money, Upload your icons to Icon Finder. We know people making four to $5,000 a month, and it's a great way to have some passive income on things you're already making. But if you just need icons, go to iconfinder.com and sign up for Icon Finder Pro. It's a monthly subscription service that gets you access to this entire library of almost 700,000 icons. It starts at just nine bucks a month. Those icons are licensed for commercial projects. So freelancers, you're good to use them. And 70% of what you're paying goes straight back to the original icon designers. It's an awesome community, an awesome tool starting at just nine bucks a month. But if you use the promo code design details, that'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month. So go check them out at iconfinder.com. And with that, let's get into episode 84 with Aaron Moody. Um, hi, my name is Aaron Moody. I'm a product designer at Etsy. Um, I am Australian. No, you're not. Yeah. Nah. Uh, I, I know, it's hard <laughs> to tell. Um, yes, it is true. I am Australian. Um, and what else? I'm a dad. I've got two boys. You have a super great beard. I've got a super great beard. Pro-grade. <laughs> Pro-grade beard. I'd actually say I'm a little off beard game at the moment. You know, I haven't had a trim for a while. I've been doing it myself, which is just a nightmare. You're making me feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, thing is just this me is on a bad day. It just, <laughs> it just grows if you stop cutting it, I guess. Uh, Brian's doesn't. It's fine. Yeah. Cool. And what are you working on right now at um, Etsy? Yeah, I'm working on, I work on the seller experience side of things so within Etsy it's sort of we have a buyer experience which is all about the purchasing and like checkout flows and then we have the seller experience which is about how sellers 
interact with the product and how they list things and how they manage those listings. And so that's what I've been working on. I just did um, launched a update to the sell page, which is sort of like the page that sort of says, hey, you should sell on Etsy, um, which was really, which was successful, worked out well. Um, and now I'm doing some work on the iOS and Android apps for sell on Etsy. How long have you been at Etsy? I've been there, it'll be three and a half years in December. Ooh, it's yep. a while. Yeah. Uh, were you always on seller tools? I've always been on the seller side of things. Um, I started out on a team that was, it was called Seller Economics. Um, and the team sort of was together in so uh, in in so much ways like um for a while but the core team like the initial team that i joined sort of was around for about six months but the idea was that uh, we would dig into all of the data inside of etsy and sort of build tools that would help sellers be better sellers so it sort of it was seller tools but it was more like trying to build things that they didn't really realize that they needed and the team was called seller economics yes that's cool so was it trying to maximize the amount of money that those people could make yeah it was trying to like it was trying to teach them how to be better sellers through data. Interesting. Or data, as as you guys. Yours is cooler. <laughs> <laughs> or as Randy Hunt says, it data, <laughs> data, data. So when we have people from outside of the country, it's always interesting to hear the story of like kind of how you made your way through design to end up here in Brooklyn. Um. Yeah. Well, we're not in Brooklyn right now. Okay. Actually, Etsy's in Brooklyn. Before we get into it, we're in Midtown just, Manhattan. You want to just room. paint a picture of, sure. of this whole evening <laughs> and what what this is like. So we're currently in a room that would be. I'm gonna I'm gonna go metric because I can't do it in Imperial, um, where it's like what four meters by six meters. That it, sounds if, give give it, or take a quarter of a meter. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's two double beds in it. Where it's, there's not a whole lot of room in here. It's you know, it's it's a nice room, cozy. It's cozy. It's a nice cave. Um, yeah, got some pretty gothic art on the walls. There's cables everywhere. Everything is dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark in here. <laughs> We've got some nice mood lighting. Yeah, we called it mood lighting. Some, some moody lighting. Moody lighting. Ooh, dude, wow, that was good. Uh, you're on one bed. Brynn and I are sitting on another bed. With a computer in between computer us. And a stack of equipment. Stack. Brian is sitting on all of our cables. If you move and you pull something out, I will kill you. Yeah, this is the if most... If Brian dies halfway through, <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> this is the most intimate recording we've ever had. So welcome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right, anyways. So, yeah, tell us, like, how how that happened how did you end up here how in new york city how did i end up in new york city that is a good question um so i grew up in a small town on mid east coast of australia and after i finished school i moved to brisbane which is the capital of queensland and there i did a year of animation and two years of graphic design um i changed to graphic design because i did animation it was like a tech course so it was like it wasn't i didn't have to go and do it like it wasn't i didn't go to uni because i didn't know what i wanted to do and so i wasn't going to like fork out thousands of dollars for I don't know what I want to do so I went and did this course um, which was like a couple hundred bucks and I really enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it which I still use to this day but during that I like one of the surfing magazines that I really liked had a competition to design your own version of the magazine 
and having sort of been teaching myself photoshop i like cobbled together this like six page issue wrote illustrated and yeah put it together in photoshop sent it in i didn't win i got a honorable mention hey but um from that i was like this was really fun and then i emailed i know it there was no email at that point oh there was but i wasn't using it so i wrote a letter um to the designer of the magazine at the time told him hey look you know i just went into the competition i'm currently studying animation i'm thinking about continuing on this but i really liked doing this thing like designing the magazine i just said making um would you mind if i came and hung out with you guys for like just a couple of days um it was a little bit brazen to ask such a thing i think but um he was really accommodating and he um wrote me a letter back said give him a call and said sure so i ended up going in for like just a couple of days just to hang out in the art room um (laughs) when i got there he was like so look you know normally for work experience we have to like fill in all these forms I didn't do that. And so for the next couple of days, you're my cousin. I was like, okay. So <laughs> I just hung out as the designer's cousin. And after that, I was like, yes, yes, I want to do more of this. Um, so I went and studied design for a couple of years. At school or on it was at a It was a college like in Brisbane. So I got into like I applied to go to uni and I got into the uni course, but it was at the Gold Coast and I wanted to stay in Brisbane. So I ended up just going to another like college that was in Brisbane. So I did that for two years. And then I finished that. And then, because I could, I went to London and worked there for a couple of years. Doing design. Doing design. Um, Initially, I was just working in a restaurant, waiting tables. Um, And then I think I applied for 60 jobs. I got four interviews and one offer. Whoa. Yep. Wow. How how long did that take? Um, I did... It was about six weeks from when I started. Holy shit. Um, And part of the advice that I gave to... um, one of the designers that attended the uh, event last night, which she's also looking for work. And I, I don't know if this is still work these days because everyone has a mobile phone, but at that point, everyone didn't have a mobile phone. So what I used to do is I would like find somewhere that I was really interested in, even if it was like, you know, obviously I would, would have liked to work there, but just more just to talk to people. I would find out who the creative director was and I would email them with like, you know, hi, my name's Aaron and like give them a story. At this point, you were using email. I was using email. I had had a Hotmail account. (laughs) Nice. It won't go into what it was called, but yes, I had an email account. Um, (laughs) And then all Hotmail account addresses have to be just the worst. It was terrible. I don't think think they allow good ones. I'm vetoing that question. We're not not going there. And so, after I'd emailed them, I would just ring up the next day and ask, could I please speak to the creative director? Like, um, and they would ask, is he expecting... Sometimes they wouldn't ask, is he expecting your call? If he, if they did ask that, I was in, in trouble. Not in trouble, but like they would sort of say, oh, okay, I'll, I'll pass on your message. But sometimes they would just patch me straight through. And what ended up happening was... And I, they told me this afterwards, which was great. They would accept my call because the... The receptionist would ring and say, oh, there's Aaron Moody on the line for you. And having sent them an email the day before, my name was still sort of like, oh, I know that name for some reason. And they would answer the call. And then I was like, gotcha. <laughs> and then I wanted to just invite myself in. And no one ever said no. I just go in and meet with them and have a chat and show my work. And I mean... So you hustled your way. I hustled my way. And that's how I hustled my way into a job in London. And now at this point, this is all graphic design? This is graphic design. Okay. So I had done a little bit of web, but... Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. I built a couple of websites like as part of my course. But my print game was much stronger than my web game. So I always was getting like I was getting offers in print 
over like web but I ended up working in a studio where they like even though they didn't have a whole lot of web work they encouraged me to like do little projects so one of the things that I did with the um with the copywriter there was a thing called fish on friday which was fish puns and I turned them into animated gifs and we had a whole website of like um does this exist somewhere still yeah it does yes example please um oh, oh like piano tuner and it was like a, a tuner playing the piano or or it was a salesman saying um the other tuner one was I think the tuner comes with the system and it was like a stereo system with this like tuner sitting in between just like jumping around um awesome <laughs> yeah and they're all just like really like I was using a um some out of copyright like fish illustration um re- resource and just sort of like coloring them yeah it was it was a, f- a fish illustrating resource <laughs> like or you know how like all the like the um the detailed illustrations of like before photographs oh yeah 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 so something like that it was out of copyright and it was just all of these um like documentation of fish and i was just turning them all into like really crude animations awesome. little little gifts yeah so I did that for a couple of years, um, and then I moved back to Australia, and then I moved to Melbourne, and then I had to hustle all, all over again. Um, for context, how old are you at this point? Like, or uh, what, so what I moved to London when I was twenty. Okay, I had my twenty-first birthday in London four days after I arrived. Ooh. Arrived, yeah. Okay, wandered the streets. Nice. Yep. Okay, so now you're back in Melbourne. Now I'm back in Melbourne. This is two thousand and three. Um, back to waiting tables. Back to hustling. Um, and I invent, ended up getting a job putting together one of the street press magazines. Um, I don't know if they have them here. In Australia, there's... I'm sure they have them here. I just haven't been interested in them. <laughs> they're like um, like free press that, you know, um, they're music magazines that they put out. So, in Australia, they're in Melbourne, there was three or two at the time, and this was a third startup. And it's just generally like music news with all the gig, all the gig like... Mm-hmm that are happening or the gigs that are happening that week and a whole a whole lot of advertising and they're free they go out every Wednesday and so there was two and this was like a new one that which had been in Brisbane but was moving to uh, Melbourne and so I got a job there which was a pretty good job it entailed taking a whole lot of like I'd start on I think I start on Thursday and I'd do a bit of prep on Thursday I'd do a bit of prep on Friday I'd go in on Monday and I'd work from nine until like four in the morning on Tuesday, just like putting in all the copy, like getting it in, like, oh, there's changes, like reformatting, like laying it all out and then sending that off to press and then having like Tuesday and Wednesday off and then starting again. And I did that for six months, I think. Oh, and geez. all this time I'd sort of been talking to a publishing company um, that was in Melbourne, for, like trying to sort of get an in. Um, and that hadn't worked out. And then sort of coincidentally, so I was still sort of doing the same thing, like emailing people, uh, inviting myself in. And I spoke to the creative director at one publishing company and, and he was really great, uh, Glenn Moffat. And he was like, um, you know, I give you a job, but we don't have any. And I was like, okay. But he said, and he gave me some feedback on my folio, which was really useful. And all the time I was like trying to get in with this other company, like other publishing company. And I'd sort of been... Like every three months, I'd email them. Or every two months, I'd email and say, you know, do you have any work? And they'd be, no, not at the moment, but get, you know, get back in touch. And it was almost a year this po- at, at this point, and I emailed him. I rang up, can I please speak to the creative director? Um, I can't remember his name, but um, 
that were like, oh, I'm sorry, he's left. I was like, oh, I have to start all over again. Um, and they said, but we can put you on in touch with a new creative director. Um, his name's Glenn Moffat. And then I spoke to Glenn and Glenn was like, oh, hi. And remembered me from coming into the yeah. other place. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that all worked out. And I ended up working there um, for three years. And that was doing all, that was a publishing company. So just doing magazines, designing magazines. So I did that for three years. And then at the same time I was working there, I also had a studio space just because I had friends that had a studio space and I'd sort of basically go and hang out and work on my web game. And yeah, pretty much they just encouraged, like got me drunk, encouraged me like to, to say that I was going to go out and do stuff on my own. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out on my own. <laughs> Sound like good friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that and yeah, that was pretty much where like the whole web stuff started like that was a point where I was like people was like oh do you do websites and I was like yes yes I do websites um, and that just sort of snowballed from starting like static HTML sites then it was WordPress stuff um, and then it was Flash stuff and at this point I was like I wasn't learning fast enough I was like I could I could get the jobs done but not in a timely fashion that was like profitable and I was like okay so I either I, I either need to find someone else who is going to like help me out with this stuff or I need to like do it myself and do it properly um, and after sort of like trying like I, I, I don't know how hard I tried I sort of like went hung out at meetups and you know it's very hard to just go and find a business partner so I found um, I went back to uni and started a post-grad master's in computer science and did I didn't do the whole thing. I like did like the certificate level, but that was enough. Like that was found out, like that was a PHP module, a um, Apache module, a SQL module, um, a Python module. And I did that for a year and a half and I was like leveled up. And then that was, that was where I sort of like started writing code and started programming properly. And, and yeah. And from there, I, so at this time I was actually, I'd actually had found a business partner um, oh, there's so many different tangents um, so at the time I went to uni and I was working for myself so I decided to go back to uni but about three months later four months later maybe six months later um, a friend well now one of my great friends um, Colin who wasn't my friend at the time I didn't know him he was interning with the guys who I shared the studio with and he'd come out from um, from the states to do an internship and we got on really well um, we stayed in touch after he went back to the states and then this job came through, which I'd pitched for like two years prior, but it was just me. And they were like, we really like, his, you know, really like your pitch, but, you know, we're a bit worried that the workload is too much. I think rightly so. And so this time around, I was like, well, I'm not pitching by myself again. So I asked Colin to pitch with me and we got the pitch. And then that started People Collective, which was a graphic design studio that the two of us did for a number of years. Um, but while this was happening, I was still at uni. I was still like programming and people collective, like didn't really do any, I mean, we did a bit of web stuff, but only like, cause I was doing it. Like our, the stuff that we were doing was really like print and type, um, type design. And that was like what the, the, the studio did. Do you um, think that's because you had done so much, uh, like publishing based stuff before? Like Colin wasn't interested in doing web stuff. Um, and I was sort of like, at that point, I was like, well, I can just do it on my own. Like, it doesn't need to be a business thing. And I was, I was like, you know, working on apps and just doing stuff on the side, which was fine. But it started to be a bit more, well, I was like, I was getting pulled and pulled into it more. Like, the work was 
there and I was also like my interest was like not as much on the print stuff and more on the um, on the digital and yeah then I, one day I just sort of like made a decision that I was going to like change my online persona I guess to be like more about that like redo my site and redo like what I was talking about um, and just sort of like push that version of myself did that pan out pretty well for yeah, you yeah that, that that worked out okay I was actually talking to Randy about this yesterday. Um, which Randy Hunt. Randy Hunt. Your boss. My boss. Because it's about this time in the story um, that Randy does an interview with Debbie Millman, and I listen to that interview. Design Matters. Design Matters. And I'm like, Randy sounds like a cool guy. And so I like open up the internets and I open up the Twitters <laughs> and I'm like, follow. And I like followed him, I think, on Tumblr and a few other things. He checks his email. He's like, who the <laughs> hell is this guy? <laughs> Um, so you hunted Randy down. I hunted Randy down. Um, and about two weeks later, I got an email from Etsy saying, would you be interested in talking to the Etsy design team? And here we are. And you got hired for a web role. Yeah. So I got hired for, yeah, for a digital, yeah. digital product designer. Uh, at that point, were you like pretty confident in your ability to do that? Like you have this massive print background. Yeah. I I mean, as I said, like I went back and had studied. So like I not only was I like, I felt super confident in my like HTML and CSS skills, but like programming wise, I was also like, yeah, not a problem. And Etsy writes all their code on like handcrafted, like heritage yeah. paper though. So yeah. I, and I scanned yeah. in. Yeah. No, yeah. it's knitted actually. <laughs> knitted into the code knitted, base. Knitted. <laughs> Crochet monotype. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Or monospace. Guys, business idea. <laughs> Just like uh, cross-stitched code snippets or something, like framed up on the wall. That'd be kind of funny. Cross-stitched scripting. Man, so you hustled your way and you ended up at Etsy and they got When you. did they figure out you were a fraud? Yeah. <laughs> How is this not falling apart yet? <laughs> well, what's it, what's it been like? So you, they moved you to to Brooklyn so they didn't move us straight away um, my wife was seven months pregnant at the time when they made an offer well, when we were talking about it and I was like well you know guys love to move to New York but can't do that right now um, and so you know I wanted to work at Etsy Etsy wanted me to work at Etsy and so we sort of like came into agreement that I would work remote um, for about 12 months and then we'd re- relocate to the US so I spent 15 months in Melbourne working remote, um, which was very interesting. It's like, it was a really, really good insight into like how how remote people work and like also now being not remote, being much more empathetic for people who are remote. I would love to hear your perspective because we've been having uh, a lot of great chats about well, the pros and cons of remote work. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely pros and cons. Like, I felt like I got so much done when I was remote. I mean, the time difference was such that I would wake up at 6 a.m. I would literally roll out of bed onto my computer and sit in three hours of meetings back to back, at which point everybody would go home. I would like have breakfast, have a shower, get dressed for the day, go to the studio and then work without interruption for like six or seven hours, which was awesome. And then I would post everything up to Basecamp. Like I... I wouldn't be able to ship any code because, like, um, that sort of all shuts down overnight. So I would just have everything ready to go in the morning, and after I'd done my interviews, I'd like push out my code and and then I'd just repeat. And so everyone would come online in Brooklyn the next day, see everything that I'd posted, 
post a whole lot of feedback. I'd wake up and we'd talk about it and repeat. One of the biggest cons that I've I've heard and experienced with remote working is the feeling of loneliness. Did you ever get that? So the studio space that I'd been working out of um, with Colin as People Collective, I was still I still had that. I still kept that desk, and so I was still hanging out with my friends. So that side of things was not a problem, and I would definitely encourage anyone who is ever working remote to find a shared shared space and work from it like i think working from home like working from home is fine but for a bit but not not all the time i mean that's me maybe some people find that fine but yeah the the at the time the remote setup stuff at etsy wasn't great um we were just using hangouts so i would essentially just be like a face on a laptop in a room which sucked um Aaron disembodied head moody. Yeah. The team meetups at Etsy were like mixed up every couple of months. So initially, like there was, I think there was like 12 of us when I joined and we'd all be in one room. And that was a bit hard, like sort of being just a voice on a laptop and a face on a laptop. And I couldn't really see what was going on. But then about like three months later, we like mixed it up and it was like groups of three. And that worked really well. And then like it went back to sort of like the bigger group, which didn't work. Um, but by this time, I was, like, moving out to Brooklyn, so that ceased to be a problem. But what I'm glad to see is, like, Etsy sort of has embraced the remote culture and, like, the setups now are far, far better than when I was, like, working remote to the point, like, when I was work- when I went home for a visit um, in February, it was, like, completely different. So, like, all the rooms have set up with AV set up like um, cameras and microphones and everything so that everyone can hear you everyone can see you you can see everyone was it a pretty tough decision to move out here um i mean it was a big decision but it wasn't like a tough one we sort of were like i just sort of it's one of those opportunities you're like you know i'm not gonna say no to that because sure we could try it and it might all go to shit and it might turn out terrible but at least we did it like at least we have had a go and we both felt the same it was like this is a good time to do it like we can move like if it had been like four or five years prior like i mean after like probably couldn't have been able to do it now i mean you could do it at any time it would have been much harder at that time it was easy like it's easy to pick up a one-year-old and be like you're moving to america (laughs) (laughs) it's like no (laughs) oh my god um but you're working on a visa yeah i'm on a visa so has that prevented you from scratching any entrepreneurial itches i have always and will always write do my own like just make things mm-hmm. um so the the trick with the visa is you just can't make money off yeah it. i can't make money off it which is fine like i'm not that's i don't do it to make money i do it to scratch the itch mm-hmm. of like making something um so yeah i've like um managed to like make a product and somewhat ship it and like that was just sort of like just something that i wanted to do and so it's like a link aggregator for soundcloud and so I, what's it called slime slime URL? Slime IO. Nice. In on that IO game. Yeah. It's, it's what everyone's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was like, that went through many, many different versions, all sort of because I could and I was sort of trying things out and ended up like doing it in Node with like a backbone front end. Um, started off in Mongo, scratched that, moved it to SQL. <laughs> Change. That's what we all do. Yeah. Tried that. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. And then, yeah, so yeah, like I moved it over to, I had. I was trying to find like a decent ORM in, in Node, ended up on one called Bookshelf, which is really great. Um, gave a talk about it at Brooklyn JS the other week. Um, yeah. So I still do that. And that's actually like 
helps a lot with my work um, because, like, I think, like, as you probably heard in a couple of the previous episodes, like, the Etsy designers are quite hands-on when it comes to the code base. Um, and I feel like that's sort of like a sliding scale. Like, it's definitely like HTML and CSS. I think Jessica mentioned last night, like, she does a bit of, C- a bit of JavaScript. Jessica Harley at our Jessica live Harley, show. Yeah. Yeah. And I try to take it as far as I can before I, like, hand it over. So, I'll try and, like, implement as much as I can, set up as much as I can, um, and then sort of, like, be... I mean, working with the engineer at the same time, um, but trying to, like, take as much off them as possible. What what kind of tool set are you working with on a daily basis? Ah, good question. Um, I am one of those people who stick with things when I really, really love them. Um, and I have yet... Stubborn. Got stubborn, it. Stubborn, yeah. <laughs> Except if I don't find the thing that I really, really love, I just, like, use everything. So, text editors. Um, I don't think I've really been satisfied after TextMate went... Wow. Bust. Yeah. Um, Sublime. Yeah, Sublime's okay. I have have actually, like, real weird issues with it where, it, like, the way that I work... Um, so, when I'm using Sublime, I pull like pull all my code down to my computer so i have like a copy of etsy on my computer all the like static files um and when i open that up in sublime sublime just chokes on that so like i have like seven processes running and it's like it sounds like my laptop's about to take off no one else has this problem just me and i've like completely reinstalled everything and it still seems to be a problem so sublime yeah sublime like yeah it's okay so then i was like well, seeing it's all on a VM, I'm just going to Vim this up. And I sort of like switched to Vim for a while and I was like, and that was fine. And, but you know. <laughs> Vim, fine. Fine, you know. <laughs> I, I got there. Um, I don't know. I'm a designer, so I really like like having, an, I don't know. There's something about like a GUI that's like nice. So at the moment I'm using Atom. Again, mm, has some real good, like has some pros. That's the open source. Yeah, that's the from, open. Uh, GitHub, GitHub from yeah. GitHub, yeah. It's like all web stuff right yeah like, it's all it's written all, in but, javascript right yeah it's um what's it running on and it's styled in css oh, which is kind of cool i can't remember the name of the uh, is electron oh, i have no uh, idea feel it, uh i don't know something like that anyway someone I'll I'll someone's, you someone's <laughs> screaming at their podcast right now <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah and so that's what i use for writing code um for design sketch all about sketch Love Sketch. Have been using Sketch since 1.5. Yes. Um, yeah. As soon as Draw It became Sketch. Oh, was it Sketch? Anyway, there was another product. There was two products. There was like Sketch and Draw It, I think. And as soon as Draw It sort of got discontinued and all of the focus went on Sketch and Sketch like jumped from being like a toy to like somewhat of a usable tool, I like pretty much switched. I was back and forth between that and fireworks and then then fireworks were just like no shoot it now and it fireworks died yeah fireworks yeah. exploded uh you mentioned something earlier i want to go back to and that's uh portfolios yes been getting a lot of questions lately about what makes a good portfolio how how to create your portfolio how important is a portfolio how important is it yeah so love your perspective on it because you've built one and pitched it but now like how so, do you approach it so this is interesting my portfolio at that time wasn't really a portfolio and it was like a slideshow of images and, and sort of like I'd pulled in some dribble shots. Um, I guess that was enough at that point. I don't know. I'm sort of, I've built lots and lots of portfolios over the years. Um, I don't have one now because I can't seem to build my own website and be happy with it. 
I'll do it and then tear it down. That's just, yeah, we won't go there. So, so you're a designer. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> just checking. Um, you even said you got advice from, like, you would call people yeah, and get advice. Yeah, I mean, th- that advice was, like, advice on my portfolio at that time that was a actual, like, portfolio, like, with okay. leaves and, yeah. like, like leaf, leaf, leaf pa- pages. pages. Oh, God. Yeah, like, we're talking, like, yeah. We're a going piece back. of, it was a book. Like it a was physical a physical book. object. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't really, that portfolio advice isn't relevant now. I would say, like... <laughs> get better paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is my design aesthetic and I think, but like, it's more my like, my aesthetic when it comes to anything that is dealing with um, conveying content of a very like uh, visual nature. So like, you know, a portfolio would be included in that, like photos, um, is just don't overdo it. I just, in those, in those situations, like less is always more and all you need is just sort of like, a simple navigation, something that's like easy. Like there are some like if you're going to if you want to go out and like be impressive, then like sprinkle it on the top. Don't make it like the centerpiece, um, and just let your work speak for itself. I think that's like, that would be my advice in portfolios. What advice would you give to someone that is looking for their first job as a designer, especially just with your background of hustling your ass off? Yeah, I, I mean, write letters. <laughs> cold calls write letters show up at people's offices I mean well Randy said Randy Hunt said yesterday he that he did exactly just that um, yeah I think you've just got to show that you want it or willing to work for it yeah willing to work for it I know that's probably what everybody says um, but now I guess being in the position of like hiring people it's like yeah if if someone is super excited about like what I'm doing and like all the like what the company is doing, then that speaks volumes. Like just excitement in general, like being excited about. You know, maybe it's not about the, the exact product, but it's like maybe it's just excitement about what you do, with like excitement about something that you saw. Like, yeah, I think just having that that want and that yeah excitement just to add it in there again um, is is something that's really um, attractive and in potential employees one of the best ways i've seen people show that is like when they ask you for uh like when they show your portfolio and you give them feedback they immediately go and iterate based on that feedback it blows my mind when someone comes back like really fast with something that either at least attempted to incorporate your feedback or like actually like changed in a positive way yeah i remember when i worked on hiring you could tell the people that were genuinely excited about the product and the company versus the people that were feigning like admiration for the company. Like they would email and be like, I love what you guys do. And then they would kind of go into this pitch versus like, I love what you do and here's why. Mm. And like explain what it is about the product or the design team that like gets that person excited. Um, That always felt like a great way to stand out to me. Yeah. I think, I mean, just sort of trying to think back like what I was, would have been saying in those instances, like, the reason that I went to a magazine place when I like was first trying to work out if I wanted to be a designer was because at that point I was a magazine junkie. Like I had, I just bought magazines even when I couldn't afford them. I had the stupidest, like I had all the Nintendo magazines. I had all like the the body. Nintendo body. Power was great back. This in the was day. Australian Nintendo magazine, which was terrible, and I still had it. Um, I didn't. I wasn't. You know, where I grew up, I wasn't. Didn't have access to the nice, the US. Um, what was it? What was that one? 
Electronic Monthly Gaming. Electronic Gaming Gaming Monthly. Monthly. That one. Oh. So when I was at high school, like we used to have to do like 20 minutes of reading before class started. And I remember like one kid had just been to the States and had and brought back like a copy of that. What was it? Yeah. Electronic Gaming Monthly. Yeah. I think that's right. Is it EGM? Yeah. I think that was the one. I just that remember, sounds right. I just remember flipping through. I can like picture the like, cover. Yeah, it was just like something from another planet. I was just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think then I washed cars for the next six months so I could buy a Game Boy. Washed cars for six months to buy Game Maybe Boy. Maybe not six months. What, what was the game you got with it? I'm um, Tetris. That was the only game I had for probably another. Well, like, this was like OG Game Boy. Yeah, OG Game Boy. Okay, yeah. this is 1994. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah. So what are you excited about now? You've been through print. You're working on web for a few years. What's next? What's, what's next? next? That is a good question. I think about often what's next. Not so much for me, but just like in general. Yeah. In, the, in, in the broader sense. Of course. Um, I spend a lot of my time just thinking about, especially like working in such a, you know, ever-changing, you know, uh, medium, I guess you would say. Like technical area of like area. Yeah. Um, field field that's a that's a better word i got you um that sort of like as well as being sometimes i find this like a bad thing being so so caught up in it is that like you tend to stay too close and not step away but when i do get time to sort of like step away from the screen and like not be browsing the internet um i like to think about the internet or all of the parts that make it up. When I get away from it, I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Spend all my time see, thinking about I it. I write it love letters. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, thinking about where things are headed. So we got into this discussion last night um, where we were talking about apps. And I can't remember exactly what kicked it off, but... A lot of beer. A lot of beer. That was part of it. Um, but yeah, we're talking about like, you know, what... Where are apps? Where are apps are going? What's next for apps? And something I've been thinking about is like, well, I feel like they're, they don't have long. Like, they've been really great. They were sort of a bit of an accident to start with. Um, and that if you sort of like... I can hear Jackson in this. Yeah. If, like, I, Brent if Jackson you, has very <laughs> strong opinions on apps. If you play them out and they're like, it's the, to the logical conclusion, it's like you can't like... The only way to get more apps on your phone and to like be able to access more apps is to have bigger screens and bigger like bigger everything. And even then, it's like you know, when do you stop? Like, how many apps is too many apps? You, know, you probably already got like so many that you never use. And thirty-three. <laughs> you have thirty-three that you never use. No, that's the that's, number. That's the number. That's the magic number. What's should, the magic probably. number? I should have said forty-two. Forty-two is the correct answer. Yeah, forty-two apps. And just and so like looking at that, the way that I now interact with my phone, I use the search to find apps all the time. Yep. I don't go looking for them. I yep. handed you my phone uh, the other day to get directions, and you just swipe. Immediately, you were there. Yeah, it's great. Well, well, that's otherwise like, how do I know where you're exactly. where you put your app? That's like, the biggest problem with apps is like, well, like the whole like home screen thing is terrible for it's, navigation. Yeah, it's terrible. Just search. So it's good to see that Android finally like added app search into their search because previously it was just like web search, but then all the apps were in the app folder, not on the screen. So it was like weird. Um, So they have it now, like Apple have it now. And this is the way that I interact with pretty much all of my apps. I just like search for them. 
So, thinking about that, it's like, okay, so if all you're doing is searching for apps now, do we really need an icon? Like, you know, why do they need to be, have an icon? And it's like, okay, well, if they're not actually an app, then what are they? Web services with a little bit of caching. Maybe, but there's more. There's got to be more than that. Like, we've already had that. It, it that just, conversation's already ha- been had in apps of one. It downloads the heavy assets ahead of time, right? Like, that's the whole big thing. It's like Facebook Instant Articles. I, that seems like a, a great model for how web services should work. I think so, yeah. I think that, like, the way, like, we were talking about, like, how um, Safari does that preload stuff when you search for it. Yeah. yeah. But that's sort of one part of it. Like, that's that's a great thing to have. But there's, like, a bigger context then of, like, what's happening on the on the operating system. So, you know, Google and Apple and Facebook and everyone is, like, working on AIs. And they're going to want to make their AI smarter. The grid is working on AI. The too. grid is working on an AI. Everyone Shout is doing it. Shout out to the grid. It's what you do. <laughs> it's what you do. Oh, no. I, AI. Oh, my God. Colin, it's what you do. I realized what I just said then. And that is, like, an advertising thing that that stupid gecko thing says. And I've just been... Ugh. Here I am thinking I'm in... You corporate fat cat. Were you sponsored to be on this episode? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. You didn't answer the question. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he turns around and leaves. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> um, yeah, so everyone's working on AIs, which I think is a really like interesting and exciting area. I think there's a lot that can be accomplished there. But at the same time, it's like, if this is what everyone's working on, yet, you know, these phones are still all app-based, then how do those two things integrate, like, interact? You've sort of got, you know, sure, you can access a lot of the voice commands, and maybe you can access Siri from the app, but Siri... Hopefully someday, please. Yeah. Yeah. But Siri only knows so much. <laughs> and, you know, and then going and sort of trying to teach her everything. I mean, this is what IBM's coming up against at the moment with Watson. It's like... They're trying to work out like how to how to make Watson smarter, and they're sort of like going into all these different areas. So, what if like the next thing for apps is to not actually be an application, but to be a extension of the OS, an extension that teaches the OS about what that application is, and the web service instead of being like just an API for the app, becomes somewhat of a smarter API that is able to not just be like a static url like i need such i need this you know file or i need this information on a person but it's like you know let's take etsy for an example as an example um you can hit the etsy api and you can grab you know information on listings you can grab information on like collections but what happens if you just go to etsy like api.etsy.com you probably get like i actually don't know what happens if you go there but i'm pretty sure you did get some documentation um what if the extension to iOS for Etsy was to teach Siri about how to talk to the API so that in a way they almost introduce themselves. The API is waiting for Siri to talk to it and Siri like goes to api.etsy.com and the API goes, hey, I see it's your first time here. Let me tell you about Etsy and goes through and like tells the operating system about what the product is so that then at an OS level, I'm like, I'm looking for something handmade in Brooklyn and Siri's like, ha ha. I've got this. I've There's got only one place on the internet for that. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a friend. And does all that for you. At this point, it brings up a really interesting thing about like, okay, so what then is the UI for this? And there's been a lot of conversation and like Wildcard is sort of looking at this sort of area of like card-based mediums. And I think that's sort of where you would see that come into play. 
Google has a huge advantage because they've just built out a whole material design style in which you could design many, 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 many permutations of cards and ways of displaying information. Um, I mean, Google Now, for example. Exactly. I mean, it's already I there. Mean, that's, and that's what, I mean, they're already doing that. They're already like opening up Google Now to be yep. that like have 30 With uh, Google Now on tap, right? Even Google Now itself like has certain like they they have or they're about to open it up to third party integration so that Google Now knows more about like other products. Um, yeah, so that was sort of, that's sort of where I've been like thinking like maybe that's where things are going. Maybe we won't have apps, so we'll just have like we just talk to our operating system. The operating system knows about a subject because we told it we we installed the Airbnb extension, um, and then. If I'm able to talk to my phone, I don't probably need a UI for a whole lot. I can tell Siri I want to go to San Francisco and I want to, I want a place in Somo and I want it to be, you know, this much, but you know, and a, a this far from any location. I want it to be a minimum of like four star rating. Like I can just give all that verbally. Do you think that's a lot to have to say? I mean, like, obviously that'll improve over time, but well, sure, but it's you can do it while you're walking. You can do it anytime. You can be sitting at your desk and you can just have a conversation with Siri and you can ask her all these questions. You can say, this is what I want. Or you could sit down and like direct your entire attention at a small screen and interact with buttons and so all that sort of stuff for, I don't know, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, not find what you want, get frustrated, be like, I'll do that later. I don't know. I've been using Facebook M and I've been using operator a little bit and it's amazing how much you forget you have to tell something but when it's in a ui and it's right in front of you it makes it a lot easier to remember the the details you need to include that's an interesting point because it's very freeform and that's kind of hard it's like if you have a recipe and you don't realize that there's some ridiculous thing and you just can't figure out how to get it to exactly what you want but you you don't know what to add It's, it's empty space instead of being a little bit more prescriptive but do you think that's because the AI you're talking to doesn't know enough. See, the, the interesting thing about a recipe there is like, if you're saying recipe, then there's a million resources for recipes online. Like, if you say to Siri, I, I'm planning on cooking Guinness and steak pie tonight. and That is like the wow. most Australian sounding thing that I've ever heard. That's because I just cooked it the other weekend. <laughs> I was like, that was really good. Um, you know, if you say that, then it's like, great, I'll go find that recipe for you and let you know exactly what you need. Like, I think there's like that, that's the interesting thing there. It's like the more that you give the AI, like the more information, the more context, like the less blank spaces there are. So mm-hmm. there probably are a lot of blank spaces now because M's like fairly new and like. Well, M knew what to ask for. It's just like, oh, it's like I'm saying the very basics and then you're asking me 20 questions to like get to what's actually important. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know if I, uh, I, it'd have to be smarter initially off the bat to like not have to do this 20 questions to get to what you're actually looking for. I definitely think it's not there. No, like no, it's, it's not there. It's not something that's going to happen now, but I, it's sort of just sort of like, yeah, it comes back to that idea of that where, like what are apps and where are they going and like what's, yeah, I don't know. It's just but something I think about. Do you feel like that? Uh, I'm trying to just envision what you're picturing. Is it a universal UI for I don't know what it is. For I, don't know. Kind of- I don't know. I, I mean, there's so many questions there. I think that f- throws up more questions than answers, yeah. which is cool. I think it, it brings up an interesting thought about like as designers moving away from the interface towards more text-based stuff, more chat-based stuff. You think of Facebook M, Operator, like these kinds of services where- Her. It's just her. Well, her. We're at like her. where the UI doesn't matter, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's what, like, I sort of like got to that point And then I was like, oh, 
And it's interesting now, like, I find all that sort of voice interaction and, like, stuff really, really interesting. But at the same time, like, cool, I should, you know, if I if this takes off, then I'm out of a job because, like, don't need a UI anymore. <laughs> but are you out of a job? Probably not, but I don't know. I think it lends itself to, like, more uh, back-end tools maybe or something. Or Oh, I think it... I think there'll be UI for a long time, but it'll just be a different type. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think people will give up on UI just because they can talk to something. No, Visuals are highly important to you human s- beings. You're always going to need to show the visual, like, you know, Siri's not going to be able to describe the Airbnb listing to you. It's mm-hmm. a home. It's a, there it's are a squares four by six windows. meter dark hotel room. <laughs> I'm standing looking out the window. There's a panoramic scene of the Bay Area. The Golden Gate glistening in the background. You're laying on your bed with your it's earbuds foggy, in. It's foggy though, like, so you oh, can't see place, any of it. This place sounds like a dream. <laughs> I'll book it to <laughs> I want to pose a question to you guys. Uh, do you think that visuals are important for apps? Or should we should we all just be using material design and, and Stop, Hig standards? No. Well, Hig, I, I think, is important. I, I think they're both important to start from, but I don't think they're, like, the be-all, end-all. It's an interesting question because, like, on one hand, yes, they are important. Because people understand them innately because yeah. they've spent so much time with other apps that look like them. When you ask that question, are you meaning, like, is a bad UI okay if the product works well? Or are you saying, like, do details matter? Uh, I think uh, I was having this debate with Brent Jackson last night, and I think uh, Brent Brent Jackson. Jackson, not Brent Jackson. Uh, designers are getting better, and products are getting better over time. And I'm wondering if the end state is you stand out in a crowded marketplace and among competition by the visuals of your app, or is it like do features? all converge and you're left to, to dealing with the visuals to separate yourself thing. Do you think that good visuals and standards are mutually exclusive? No, but I wonder if if, if the visuals become the differentiating feature of... They already the, are, partially. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't have a nav bar and a tab bar and things like that. To a degree. Like, visuals done well are always going to be... are always going to stand out, always going to be, like, sit above everything else. Um, but it, like to your point of like everything's get a, getting better all the time, which means that you know you need to sort of like there either needs to be this continual jump to sort of put yourself above, or there's sort of like there needs to be something else that's like explored, um, and I feel like that like technology provides that like in terms of like the leaps and bounds that happen there. Like let's go back to the web for a second. Like everyone was designing static sites, you know, that had to like do requests to the server, pull back a static page, and like that was like the status quo and everyone was designing around this idea of like static pages, static pages. And then Ajax happened. And then the whole landscape like just changed. And got way slower. <laughs> <laughs> that not only changed like the way that the like the visuals worked, but it just changed the whole way like the interactions work. And that I think that's more like likely to happen than sort of like visuals themselves being the most important thing or like the thing that's defining it sounds like you're talking about some kind of like visual singularity where the only way you can differentiate is by being different instead of improving because you just i think i, well, mean, I, I don't know because I, I think too like now we're talking about ai and like maybe yeah I know. maybe we're going the opposite direction where now visuals are actually well that was like when important. i was thinking about the ai stuff like let's just take um google now for example so if google now becomes like the main thing on android um, there are no apps. You just build extensions to Google Now. 
everything in the information is is displayed in cards based on the material design, then yeah, like at that point, you're not really. I mean, it's sort of scary, but also like very freeing because now you don't have to design a whole app for Google. Now you just like here's the extension, here's my API, great. Now I can focus on making like my web product really, really kick ass. And I don't have to like fracture all of my efforts over like an iOS app, an Android app, a car app, a watch app, a spaceship app, a <laughs> teleporter app, a, you know, like what what's next? Like there's so many now, like that would be really, really liberating to be able to like, cool, I'm just going to like build this website. The web tech's going to get better. It's going to be like really great. And I can customize all of that. And I'm going to build it on top of the API that everything else talks to. And for each of those things, I don't have to worry about a UI. I just have to worry about teaching the AI on that platform to talk to my API. So it sounds like engineers win. Well, not really. Because what does that like, even mean? Why are they mutually exclusive? Why are they fighting each other? No, good good I, user experience is a combination of data and visuals. Yeah, and yeah. I think if the data is good enough, visuals matter significantly less. But that doesn't mean engineers win instead. I was more just poking at that eventually the data like if if this vision comes to be like the data integrity and like the data structures probably matter more yes but i would i would argue that that is as much as a design challenge as the visuals fair enough do you have a favorite app right now i have a favorite service that's not an app okay here we go which is why like this whole like thing like this whole ai thing like spawned off because my favorite app non-app is digit Okay, which yep. is the one that like you hook up to your bank account, and it just like goes in there and like makes like checks how much you've got in there, and if it can like make a withdrawal, and it just like when it can, it'll t- make small like um, withdrawals from your account, and they're customizable. Yep. To where? To it to like a another account that's yours. Yep. To a digit account. I used Digit for a while. It was, it was interesting. What's so point? I, um, so without you knowing, you save money. So I just saved like fifteen hundred dollars to fly my mom out when we had um, Rudy recently. So, so think about like you make a bunch of small purchases and they kind of add up over time, but you don't really like think about them as you're doing them because they're so small. It does that for you, but the purchases go into a savings account. Reminds me of Acorns. Have you used that? Um, I've heard of it. I think, oh, it's the um, the stock one. Yeah. I haven't used it. Except for that's not money you get back. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. I love that. Like if you spend $5.60 on something... There's no difference here between just spending $6. Yeah. So Acorns just takes the 40 cents and invests it for you. That's awesome. I looked at Acorns. This is definitely a much more like you get the money back and you can take it back whenever you want. Yeah, you can cash out. Um, but it also has the potential to grow. It's like yeah, it has the potential. And they've like, savings. initially like there was no interest and there's still no interest per se, but it's like they give you um, bonuses if you keep your money around. So there's it doesn't cost anything. So obviously like they're making money off your money. Yeah. But- it's free, which is fine because, like, I'm happy to forego the interest, which would would otherwise be minimal, and um, and have that service, which is like I really, really like it. This I- is yeah. I think this kind of stuff's fascinating to me, where it's apps that do stuff without you having to be looking at a screen. Yeah, uh, it's apps that just happen in the background and save you time. Uh, they shoot you text messages. Yeah, and that you That's interact like with like text message. So yeah. it sends you a text message and says, "This is your balance. This is how much you've saved." Um, hey, you, you saved a grand this week. That's cool. And you can report. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's you pretty can, good. You can ask and say, like, save more and it'll take some more. Or you can just, like, email and say balance and it'll tell you how much there is. Or you can, like, 
email and say oh, I'd message and say withdraw and it will just like and I'll say how much do you want to withdraw and you can like withdraw a whole lot or part of it and so it's all text message so I can like check the balance of my account both my like actual account and my digit account just by like sending a text message that says recent oh no um balance so how how does this extend to other services like or how does that evolve over time like at this point it, that's pretty simple right You're yeah just and I don't sending know if, commands back and forth like I don't know you, if that you needs- text etsy and say mittens <laughs> and mittens show up <laughs> i don't know if this needs to go like that service needs to go beyond that i feel like it that's per- like what it does maybe there's something i'm not thinking of that would be nice but for now like it does everything that i need it to do which is save me some money like and it does it in a way that I don't have to interact with an app. It does it a way. It does it in a way that like I don't have to, you know, go in and sort of like manage it. Like it just happens. Like there was other. Like I was using Level for a while, and while I really, really liked it, um, I just found that the presentation was nice, but it was wildly inaccurate very frequently. Yeah, and it's sort of like. So this is a, this is a service I want. If anyone is out there who's listening to this. Um, that sounded really weird. If anyone's listening, <laughs> our one listener. Fun fact, not happening. Surprise. So I want Digit, but I want it for taxation. I want a smart AI s- s- program to monitor my account. I want it to give it like, I want to spend a bit of time with it. Maybe like I spend half an hour showing it what is expenses. Flag me, flag anything on Amazon, flag anything on the app store, flag anything from like, you know, from this, like, I don't know, a bookshop. And I want it to learn over time what are my business expenses and what are not so that, and I want it to, like, I can just take a photo of a receipt and I can be like, this is a business expense, like, and it'll match up the amount that came out with, like, the receipt. Um, and then maybe once a month it, like, checks in and goes, hey, Aaron, um, I found these three um, transactions from your account. Are these expenses? And I'll be like, yes, yes, no. And then at the end of the financial year, I'm like, give me my expenses. And it's just like, boop, out of pops. Just it like has that. to make Just that like sound, that. though. Yeah, it reminds me Boop. of uh, sort of what Mint was trying, kind of. But the problem, yeah. is, like, but they never went the tax route. It was just like, here's how do you manage your money. Zero does a lot of that stuff. Zero's pretty great that way. Um, there's also a QuickBooks there's product so that does much, pretty well. Yeah, there's just a lot of UI. I just don't. Yeah. I don't want a whole oh, lot of UI. Sure. I just want it to be happening in the background without me noticing it. And like, sure, like if you have a question about is this actually an expense, then ask the question. But otherwise, just do the work. Yeah, this is what ties me back to like uh, operator or magic, and not to like self plug. Magic, magic. Yeah, what's another thing you can just oh. like request stuff mm. via message. Ah, uh, yeah. But like Facebook M is. What are the hard things in your life that are pain in the ass that right now computers can't really do? Like you can't just say do my taxes and have that that happen. But Which, there's services that are, that are trying to figure this out, right? Like, I know. Eventually, you just message M and say like, do my taxes. Do my taxes, right? It's weird that it's come full circle that we were interacting with computers via command, went into this whole like GUI. Oh, like, I didn't think about that. Wonderland. Oh and my now God. it's like we're back at text messages. Um, but I feel like at this time, the natural language stuff is the like, I mean, it is what's pushing that. And text is just like, text will be useful. I mean, it will always be useful for like private interactions, but I feel like it's just, it's the cusp before everyone's just talking to their phones. SMS, NLP, CLI. <laughs> what? <laughs> SMS, yeah. natural language processing, command line interface. I don't know what SMS stands for. Uh, Some, isn't it something, mes- not something message service, but is it? 
It's something message service. <laughs> something message. Something message service. Natural language processing. Command line interface. Actually, SMS stands for short message service. Thanks for googling message that. Service. I appreciate it. I did not Google. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time, man. No problem. Thanks appreciate for having it. me, guys. That was awesome. Can't thanks. believe we're out of time already. <laughs> yeah, that went really fast. Anything you want to plug before you go? Mm. Slime.io. Um, and not at the moment because like I have to like remove the invite system, which you can't. I only built that. I put it there because I was because I was thought that my programming skills weren't sufficient to build a service that would actually be able to stand up. So it turns out it did. Um, and now I haven't had any time to fix it since then. So it's like it's just sitting there with like ten of my friends using it, and not very frequently. So yeah, let me fix that, and then people can use it. And then it'll be at slime.io. Then it will be at slime.io. Awesome. Cool, man. Thanks. Thanks. That was episode 84. Thanks to Aaron for hanging out with us for a while out in New York. Thanks to Aaron for organizing our New York trip and having us to record some of our past episodes like the live meetup and our episode with Randy Hunt. We really appreciate it. So be sure to hit him up on Twitter at Aaron Moody. And of course, give us your feedback on the episode and the show at Design Details FM on Twitter. Or hit us up in our Slack team. That's at spec.fm slash Slack. There's over 2,500 people in there talking about the latest in design and development. Before we go, huge thank you to our two sponsors that made this show possible. First up, as always, is Dropbox. As I said at the beginning of the episode, Dropbox lets you work the way you want. It's the easiest way to work the way you want. Uh, You can use any file with any device, wherever you are, with anyone you choose. And then you can start building more interesting things. So you can check them out and get started at dropbox.com. Thank you very much, Dropbox, for sponsoring this episode. Our second sponsor is iconfinder.com. They are the largest source of premium icons on the web. They have over 700,000 icons in their library, and you can get access to all of that for just $9 a month with iconfinder Pro. To get started, go to iconfinder.com, use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS, that'll tell them that we sent you, and get you 50% off your first month. Huge thank you once again to iconfinder for making the show possible. And we'll see you on Wednesday with Tobias Frere-Jones.